Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Today's guest is from the Windy City. I'm not talking about Wellington in New Zealand. I'm talking about Chicago in the US of A. I've got Brad Copen, Head of Business Development and Trading at CMT Digital. The man has been trading and being involved in financial markets for a very, very long time. We're going to get to the bottom of what they're doing over there at CMT Digital and really just pick the brains from a proprietary proprietary trader and the venture side more than anything else. So thank you so much for your time today, brother. I really do appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Mate, look, let's just kick off um, with discussing or you, you introducing us a little bit to yourself first uh, and what your background was and kind of how you got, I guess, dragged into or found uh, cryptocurrency yourself. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I started my career right out of uh, university on the trading floor of the Chicago Board Options Exchange in Chicago, actually trading uh, equity options, um, you know, open outcry in a pit. Yep. Uh, and I sort of managed the, uh, the transition from open outcry trading to electronic trading on the floor to, you know, electronic trading off the floor. My uh, original firm was uh, IMC, which is sort of a global options uh, market making firm. So I actually spent some time in Sydney in their office there, uh, you know, uh, a long time ago. Um, so that's how I started my career in trading. I've been with CMT for nine years now. And uh, CMT is a traditional prop shop. But about six years ago, um, we got interested in crypto and we started our crypto uh, prop trading desk two and a half years ago. So I transitioned to crypto about two years ago. Uh, from my perspective, it was mostly just as a new asset class where I was trading U.S. equities, ETFs, futures in a more high-frequency model. Mm-hmm. And uh, as sort of 2017 rolled around and the opportunity in crypto became larger in terms of the volume traded on exchanges and the notional uh, value of those, uh, of those products, we CMT just sort of pivoted some, uh, a lot of capital, human capital, fiat capital, into the place and I, I was part of that transition and now I'm uh, the head of the desk here in Chicago for the CMT digital crypto trading desk. Wow, that's quite interesting to see um, a traditional player moving into the space with, um, I guess so nimbly. I mean, it, it, a lot of people have been avoiding it and avoiding it, of course, you know, uh, a massive, massive fund or a massive uh, conglomerate. It's like, a, it's like a, uh, a cruise ship, it takes a long time to turn, but a more nimble, prop trading desk, of course, you're always looking for something important to be involved in. And of course, the volatility in this space is absolutely off its head. So we love that. Um, what was the driving force for CMT? I mean, obviously, you've been around the markets for a long time. And um, you know, you're one of your founders, I believe, got in quite early into the space. What, what really was the major driving force to come into this blockchain and Bitcoin space? <laughs> Was it just purely for trading profits or, or was there something more? You know, I, it definitely was for something more. You know, I, our CEO, Colleen Sullivan, was the in-house uh, legal counsel for CMT. And she, she was sort of the driver behind us getting into Bitcoin and blockchain. You know, she saw early on the potential for Bitcoin uh, and blockchain to sort of, you know, disrupt traditional finance. And she was very interested in how it could... Uh, you know, have an impact not just on trading, but on the the financial ecosystem in general, I guess. But then, you know, as the firm sort of became had became more convicted on, uh, you know, how big of an impact this could have, the firm took a long position, 
And that sort of opened our eyes to the potential on the trading side. And just that in those early days when we're taking a position, you know, you know, you create an account on a couple of exchanges, you realize there's a price difference. Um, and I think being a proprietary trading firm allowed us to be, you know, nimble enough to pivot and move into the space. You know, I think for the two years I've been involved, a lot of people have been talking about this institutional wall of capital. When are the institutions going to get involved? And I really think the first sort of institutions that they can involve are the prop shops, just mm -hmm. because it's their money. It's not someone else's money. They don't have to answer to shareholders. They don't have to answer to investors about why are they getting involved in crypto. It's a small, sort of smaller uh, group that makes the final decision. So in my firm, there's two partners. So it's sort of uh, a little bit easier for us to make that decision when there's just a couple people sitting at the top that can help sort of drive that decision making. Uh, and, you know, the opportunity early on was really about, you know, an operational difficulty of can you connect to these exchanges? Can you execute on these exchanges? Can you move crypto and fiat around the world to all these places fast enough to capture the, uh, the ARB that was available in the early days of our desk? Yeah, the ARB opportunity was fantastic. And, um, you know, the other thing with the, with, the, with the whole ARB is that when the market gets more volatile and goes, you know, starts to get a little more crazy again, opportunities do arise. I mean, there's just so many opportunities in this market still to this day, and it will continue to grow. I guess my, a big question that I've got, I mean, we, you talked or touched on um, uh, volume before as to, you know, there needed to be a certain amount of volume to get involved. I was introduced to Bitcoin in 2013. Uh, I've been trading for 13 years and at back back at that stage, I was just like, well, there's just not enough here for me to do anything. I wasn't a VC. I wasn't, you know, a tech entrepreneur at that stage. I, I was just a guy trading the markets. Um, and for me, there wasn't enough volume there. Now, obviously we do have volume. I'm interested to hear where CMT, CMT Digital and your, your team there on the prop desk, where you're getting that volume from is a particular exchanges. Have you got your own pool? How are you working in there to get the right execution and the right trade sizes? Yeah. So, you know, in the early days of the desk, we definitely connected to 15 to 18 different exchanges globally. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of helped us sort of find the, the right, the right types of liquidity and find, you know, easier execution by having a lot of touch points in the ecosystem. Uh, I would say now we're probably not trading on that many exchanges as some of the exchanges are sort of taking the lead in terms of where there's liquidity. And we also have a few sort of uh, relationships that are a little bit more OTC or dark pool type of uh, trading venues where we can, uh, you know, sort of trade off of the lit exchanges and, and get liquidity through some, you know, private relationships, uh, partnerships like that, that help us find, uh, the liquidity when we need it and or if the lit exchanges don't have enough at that moment. Yeah. Now, what do you think the biggest difference is between, um, I guess, traditional markets, we can call it, and uh, and the crypto markets? What would you say is one of the biggest shifts you've had to make, if any? It's really sort of uh, just capital efficiency or how you use capital. I mean, in traditional markets, you know, you have a clearing corporation, you have a, a prime broker where you sort of have one account that you have at a, a large financial institution that allows you access to trade on, you know, most global <laughs> vendors, right? Um, and, and then it's, and then sort of for the prop shop, we might have that account at, uh, you know, a large financial institution, but we might connect and do some of the technology ourselves. Um, but for, for crypto, the biggest thing is I have to fully fund most of the trading venues where we're looking for liquidity and not just fund 
dollars. I'm funding dollars. I'm funding Bitcoin. I'm funding ETH. I'm funding Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash. So I have to have all of these assets in that one place. And to me, that's still the biggest difference. Now, two and a half years ago, there are a lot of other differences too. Like you couldn't really send money except through the traditional banking system. So you had to think about bank holidays, bank holidays in the country where the exchange is, yeah. where you're trading. And some of those solutions have been solved through stable coins or some of the banking solutions with like Silvergate Bank, um, you know, Signature Bank, where you can send money 24 seven now, 365, as long as you're sitting within that network. So, you know, the, it, the ecosystem has changed a lot in two and a half years, but I'd say that still the biggest difference is just the, the capitalization issue. Okay. And, and just on that, I mean, we have seen a, a hell of a lot of changes come through. One of the, one of the other areas within this market is, is definitely the risk side of it. And it's, there's just like, there are additional variants of risk in this market at the moment. For example, we're traders, we need to hold our Bitcoin or ETH or whatever we're trading against uh, or for um, on an exchange somewhere. Now, the risk doesn't just come from uh, obviously the wild volatile, you know, volatile markets because you know, we can hedge that. But the risk really comes from uh, outside of the market itself, which is the exchange itself. Now, of course, with margin trading, which I love to do, obviously, means we have to have less uh, Bitcoin or capital on the platform for us to have a bigger size position. How do you guys manage what you have in cold storage and what you actually keep on the exchange's hot wallet to make sure that you have enough um, liquidity there for yourself to vault, to trade and get the size positions that you wish to do so? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So, you know, initially we had to, uh, we decided to do cold storage ourselves from the simple fact that uh, you know, two years ago, if you're using a third party custodial solution, it usually took you, I don't know, 24 to 48 hours to get any assets out of cold storage, yeah. which that's, that's just not fast enough for a prop shop. You're, you know, you're trading, you're moving assets between exchanges. That needs to happen in minutes or hours, not days, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, early stages, we were definitely looking at these exchanges and thinking about what that, what that constituted in terms of counterparty risk where, okay, we're going to choose to trade at Bitstamp. We're going to choose to trade at, you know, uh, Hippie TC or Bittrex, you know, Kraken, Coinbase, all these places, right? Um, and, and, and we had to make the decision, okay, how, how much are we willing to risk by holding assets on that exchange, trusting them to custody these assets? And then how productive are those assets that are on that exchange? How much are we trading there? How much how profitable are we trading those assets? So it's sort of the, one of the biggest issues with the space is just there's a different set of risks that you need to consider when trading. Yep. And one of, the, one of those is that counterparty risk. So we, I mean, we obviously love the margin trading too, right? When we can get margin, that, that's what we want. And, that, and that's sort of, I think, where the industry is going is as, as the industry grows up, I think you're going to start to see people try to differentiate, differentiate themselves in terms of what else can we offer our customers besides liquidity? I think the custodians will even start to offer some things um, in terms of being able to execute from cold storage. So you're not putting assets onto an exchange. They stay in cold storage. You can still get liquidity that way. Uh, I think that's where the, the industry is going to go because that's what people are used to from the traditional markets. That's what it's going to take to get people who are currently on the sidelines thinking about getting in 
um, I think it's going to take to get them in. And look, the other thing as well on that, um, you know, what we love in traditional markets is that feeling of security. Um, and we, you know, we, we need to have that in this space. And as a trade, I mean, look, it's easy to buy and to just chuck it on cold storage. There's not a problem with that. But if you're active, there is that counterparty risk. We have to be aware of it. And, um, you know, we have to just make sure that we manage it as good as we can. And one of the things I found very interesting in 2018 was the amount of discussion around the ETF. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, popped its head up once again. There's a lot of talk about the ETF, ETF this, when is it happening, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people were super transfixed on this occurring and that was going to be the thing that would set the market off. For me, I was sitting back going derivatives trading because derivatives allow other funds to come in allowing them to their hedge, hedge their portfolios and be involved in a market and use margin leverage. Now, of course, we have seen a very large increase in the last sort of 12 to 18 months of uh, those derivative products. And we are seeing more coming into the space. So I think as long as I keep developing that derivative side of things, and as you say, the custodial issue or the sort of the counterparty risk issue, I think uh, I think we're in a very good place. Now, I just want to jump away from the trop prop trading a little bit, uh, Brad, and move into some of the venture capital side of things as well. Now, with venture capital, of course, that's investing into businesses, usually startups or maybe not just startups, but you know what I mean? Like We're getting in there, we're investing in a company, seeing their team, all that sort of stuff. Now, from the VC arm of CMT Digital, are you, like, when you're raising funds, have you seen the, um, the type of client change over the last couple of years like are you seeing now more family offices being interested i mean they tend to be one of the first in because again just like you know um a, a boutique fund they're able to move as and wish uh, sorry as they wish to have you seen the type of investor change on the venture capital side uh yeah i, I think so you know we don't we, we've raised just of one fund so far and and half of that money did come from CMT itself and the other half sort of came from friends and family, which is just the network of the partners of the firm, which is, is very similar firms to what you just described. They're family offices, high net worth individuals. Yep. Those are going to be the first movers, I think, to get in. You know, we're, we're about 70% deployed on our capital from that first fund, and we are starting to think about raising that second fund. Uh, and, and I think we're going to start to see a little bit more uh, interaction with, uh, you know, maybe some hedge fund, more hedge fund style, some more sophisticated family offices, uh, you know, maybe even some institutions that want to get some exposure, uh, but maybe not through the, you know, the tokens or the cryptocurrencies themselves, right? They might see some value in the blockchain, but not necessarily in the crypto. And, and that's sort of the difference is that we're really trying to invest in sort of the, the you know, blockchain operating companies, the venture side, we, we didn't really invest in like the tokens or the ICOs. It is a little bit more traditional venture investing than, uh, than it was like, you know, an ICO fund. No, I completely understand that. And I, like, I understand that on so many levels. Uh, same with me. I, I'm not interested really. I mean, if, if I can't have equity, I'm not really that keen. Um, because you can't, you can't get in there and get what you really needed. So I hear people talk about fundamental analysis a lot uh, about the crypto space. And look, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that there's not truth to it, but it's very difficult to get to the areas of importance. Like, for example, this very simple question, when will you be getting to revenue? <laughs> it doesn't seem to come up all that often, uh, which I find uh, very, very interesting. And it's just, uh, I guess, testament to a lot of younger people or, or maybe not younger, but just a lack of education around that. It's great to see, uh, you know, 
you're thinking along the same lines and then you have made some good investments. I mean, we got Circle backed, uh, BlockFi or BlockFi, Polychain. I see Pantera is also in there. So you, you've been active, obviously, which is fantastic to see. And I mean, the, the other thing that you guys are covering is the legal side, the regulatory and compliance side of things. And I think from my point of view, that, that again is, it's a huge part of what we're trying to achieve as a, um, as a space that's trying to grow. Is there anything coming up at the moment, obviously, um, with your uh, founder, I've forgotten her name, Co- Colleen, was that right? Yeah, Colleen's the CEO of Seem to Digital, yeah. So she was, well, she's a, a lawyer, as you stated earlier in the conversation. She must be very much up on the legal and policy compliance related issues facing the space. Is there anything that you guys are seeing at the moment that you think might actually catch the market out, that the market might not really be prepared for? Yeah, no, I don't, not really. I think that... We, we're seeing, or from 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 what I see, um, you know, in the especially in the United States, there is a bit of an issue of of the uncertainty of the regulations. So you're starting to see some firms who might want to start their business in the U.S. Uh, or in, in any jurisdiction where the regulatory environment's uncertain, and they're deciding to start that business somewhere else, right? They might decide to start that business somewhere where the regulation is a little bit more clear a little bit more friendly to the type of business they want to run, and they're going to prove out their business in that jurisdiction and then maybe take the time and the energy and spend the money to figure out the regulatory situation in some, somewhere like the United States. So we, we see that a little bit, which we see as an issue, and I think you know, people are going to catch on pretty quickly. This is a global technology. This is a global ecosystem. So having more standard regulation uh, sort of across the globe, I think will help the industry grow. And I think the jurisdictions where you're, you're, you're a little bit stricter or there's a little bit of uncertainty, they're gonna maybe uh, miss out a little bit on the early growth in this ecosystem where the startups and that those sort of those early businesses aren't gonna be able to operate there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think people see value in allowing those businesses to start as long as there's some open communication in terms of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish and staying within those, you know, the regulatory guidelines that are there. I I don't really see anything that's going to be that surprising. I'd be surprised if the U S did anything um, to sort of, they definitely want to be on top of things and and make sure everything is, is staying is legal and, you know, is, is sort of uh, transparent, but that I'd, I'd be surprised if they did something that would try to like, slow the industry down or stop the growth of the industry. It's quite interesting watching it from the outside in at the moment. Uh, we've just seen uh, France come out and, and basically say no to Libra. They will not let them operate. Obviously, we saw Congress within five hours of the Libra white paper being released uh, raise some issues. Uh, obviously, these are centralised companies. Uh, so it's a very different um I suppose it's a very different landscape, but it is the future. You know, these companies, it makes perfect sense as to why, you know, let's say a Starbucks, for example, if they know when you're spending and what you're spending on and how much you have and how much of everything and your individual data, well, that number that you become, obviously not a name, but that number, well, they can know, they can start doing things like when it rains, it's just buy a person, buy more of this type of product. And they can really tailor their client exactly what they want at the exact moment in time based on behavioral habits of their spending, which makes it better for the individual. Uh, and it drives revenues for someone like Starbucks to continue to grow. And I mean, you, you, you had, you had um, 
a fair old wedge of uh, adrenaline to that when you consider it's Facebook that we're talking about, which pretty much knows more about you than what you know about yourself. So I can understand the, the complexities around that. Um, do you think that Libra is going to get through or do you think it's going to be a constant battle for years to come? I personally think it's good for the space no matter what it does for the time being because there's that very loud trumpet being played and it's giving legitimacy from one of the most innovative companies in the world. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think they're going to get through? Do you think it's going to be a long-winded battle or is it something that you haven't really looked into all that much? No, it's definitely something that we've looked at and, and thought about a little bit. I definitely think it's good for the for the crypto or blockchain ecosystem. You know, Whether or not you think it's a true cryptocurrency or not, the fact that people are talking about Libra and in that same sentence talking about cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin, I think that's just good for mm. sort of the education of the, of the space. That, that's one of the biggest problems I think in the ecosystem is education, is that people don't necessarily understand um, you know, what, what Bitcoin is or what blockchain is. And until they do, it's gonna be hard for people to sort of adapt to you know, maybe a new, uh, a, the new ecosystem or a new financial you know, type of products. Um, I do think Libra will go through. I, I think it will be a bit tricky, though. Um, uh, Facebook has a, has a very powerful company. Um, they, they can, uh, they've been dealing with the politicians on other fronts. And I think part of the issue that people have with Libra is that it is Facebook. Like you said, mm. uh, right now there's not a ton of trust in Facebook because of other issues. But at the end of the day, I think Libra is going to solve, uh, hopefully solve a lot of problems in terms of the, like the payment like infrastructure around the globe. And I think that that's good for for everyone, and, and I think they will they will get it through. It just might take longer than people hope because of all the eyeballs are going to be on it. I agree. Well, Brad, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having this conversation with you, covering off obviously the prop trading side into venture capital and then across into uh, some of the finer details around policy and regulation compliance. So thank you so much for your time. Where can we find out more information about what you're doing in CMT Digital? Uh, well, CMT Digital's website is a great place to stay up on what we're doing on the venture capital side. Uh, you know, on the pro on the prop side, you know, they're, they're, we don't we don't talk about that stuff a lot. <laughs> but you could uh, you could uh, ping me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to get a hold of me. I am on Twitter, but mostly just to take in information. I'm not very active in terms of uh, putting anything out there. Um, but I th those are the two best places, I think. And I, I, and we do speak at a lot of conferences globally between Colleen and myself. So it's, it's always good to meet new people in the space. And, uh, I always enjoy talking, uh, crypto and blockchain. So it's been, it's been great. Uh, it's been great to do this. And the website is cmt.digital. That's, That's correct, correct, right? All right. Good stuff. Well, Brad. Copen, Head of Business Development and Trading at CMT Digital. It's been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you, ladies and gentlemen. You have a fantastic day. Speak to you again soon. Bye for now.